this week's episode of Pick and Politics. I'm Josh Olstein. And I'm Brandi Wells. So for today's political segment, we have Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies at 87. So this is the quote from Fox News. It says, Our nation has lost a jurist of historic stature, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. said. President Trump's reaction. So uh, that was something that really, really struck me. Uh, I saw on Twitter that the president... Um, was actually while she died, or when she died, rather, he was uh, at a rally, uh, one of his political rallies. So I wanted to play you guys a clip. This is from NBC News from YouTube, and I just wanted to let you guys hear the president's reaction when he walked off stage and reporters told him about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. She just died? Wow. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. All right, so that was President President Trump's reaction. Um, I think, um... That was probably the, like, it, it was so, like, um, real. Yeah, sincere. Uh, he showed great uh, sympathy and empathy, and I think a lot of people, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, you know, saying this was his, you know, they call him a monster, but they were saying this was his most human mm-hmm. uh, response to anything that he's ever done, and, you know, I don't. I really feel like that's the first time he heard about it. You know, yeah. some people were like, maybe they told him and yeah. didn't, you know, the extent. I don't know but how I, that would have worked. I mean, he I just think, walked off stage you from know, his I rally. don't think he was coached at all. I think that was his real um, uh, response. And I, I, I think he really set the precedent for the rest of the Republican Party to, he did. you know, show sympathy, you know, honor her legacy. Don't, you know, just don't, don't really celebrate this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it provides him with a amazing opportunity to appoint somebody uh, another judge to the um supreme court but uh you know it's still uh, a death of a historic uh, figure oh, in our yeah. country whether you agree or disagree with her uh like uh, the politics but she left a huge legacy oh for sure and so i think uh his he really did set a great precedence yeah uh for the rest of the republican party uh and our leaders to show you know sympathy and uh, first and foremost, rather than yeah. just going and celebrating the fact that he can appoint a new judge. Absolutely, and I think that that's the way to do it. You know, and yeah. I'm sure most decent people do. Um, but we also had another reaction. You know, there were protests immediately at Lindsey Graham's home. Um, also, all the way out through the night, um, they had signs that said, "Lindsey, uh, if we we if." Let's see. If we don't sleep, Lindsay don't sleep. And I'm like, okay. There were also protests at Mitch McConnell's house. Why were there Um, protests at Lindsey Graham's house? Lindsey Graham had said in 2016, "Use my words against me." Oh yeah, I saw that video. If a Republican, yeah, if a Republican wins in 2016, they need to let the next president. Yeah, and they, you know, he said if a Republican wins in 2016. And uh, it's a 2020, uh, right in the middle of the 2020 election, and there's a Supreme Court vacancy. We should not fill it. He said, use my words against me. Yeah. Well, that happened, and now he's changing his tone. Really? Yeah. And that's why, why you, people are upset. How could you do that when you literally were like, Just don't say use come, my like, words against yeah, me. Yeah, you shouldn't have even said that. <laughs> but uh, Mitch McConnell has vowed to fill the seat. It's the president's constitutional duty to do so. So, actually, um, there was a... Now, news clip, another one I wanted to show you guys. This is from Ted Cruz. He was on M- uh, ABC, sorry. So I'm going to let you guys hear this. He kind of explains, um, and they tried to do like a little gotcha thing here in the beginning. So I'm just le- going to let you hear a few minutes of this, and then we'll continue. Senator Ted Cruz is our next guest. Here's what he said about election year vacancies in 2016 when Barack Obama was president. It has been 80 years since since a Supreme Court vacancy was nominated and confirmed in an election year. There is a long tradition that you don't do this in an election year. And Senator Ted Cruz joins us now. Good morning, Senator. Thanks for joining us this morning. 
you and your colleagues were pretty clear back in 2016 that in, two, that in an election year is a matter for the people to decide. Is it fair for people to conclude right now that you've changed your tune because the president is a Republican, not a Democrat? Well, George, I'm happy to talk about that, but I, but I want to start by, by just acknowledging the, the extraordinary career Justice Ginsburg had. She was a, a trailblazing advocate, one of the finest Supreme Court litigators to have ever lived. She, she served for nearly three decades on the court. I, I argued nine times before Justice Ginsburg on the court. She was a brilliant justice. She was, she was, her questions were always incisive. She was a careful lawyer, and she's led a, a remarkable legacy. And, and, and Heidi and I, our, our prayers are, are with her family who, who are grieving the loss of, of someone who led an extraordinary life. Uh, now, when the vacancy occurs, that naturally leads to the, to the question of what will happen next. Uh, and the answer in terms of what's going to happen next is we know now the president is going to make a nomination. I, when I called for the president to make the nomination this coming week, he's announced he's going to make the nomination this week. And I believe the right thing to do is for the Senate to take up this nomination and to confirm the nominee before Election Day. Now, on the question of precedent, look, we had this fight at, at the end of the Barack Obama uh, term. And, and at the time, all the Democrats were saying, confirm the nominee, confirm the nominee. And all the Republicans were saying, we're not going to confirm the nominee. And so we've got a situation. You just played a quote from me in 2016. We can play that game all day long where you can well, play a quote I, from Chuck, I, I, Chuck I, Schumer I, I, saying I don't you've got to confirm with that. the nominee. I don't disagree with that. That's what I'm just trying to get you to, to concede. This is really about who has the votes and who has the power at any given time, right? So, 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 no, actually it isn't. Uh, if you look at history, if you actually look at what the precedent is, this has happened 29 times. 29 times there has been a vacancy in a presidential election year. Now, presidents have made nominations all 29 times. That's what presidents do. If there's a vacancy, they make a nomination. What has the Senate done? And there's a big difference in the Senate with whether the Senate is of the same party of the president or a different party of the president. All right, so Senator Ted Cruz is uh, on here with George Stephanopoulos, and he's saying that, um, you know, he's they're kind of answering for his past remarks, uh, kind of like I said about Lindsey Graham earlier. And um, he said, you know, there's been 29 times that a Supreme Court vacancy has happened during an election year. So let's continue to see what he said. When the Senate has been of the same party of the president, a vacancy occurs in an election year, of the 29 times, those are 19 of them. Of those 19, the Senate has confirmed those nominees 17 times. So if the parties are the same, the Senate confirms the nominee. When the parties are different, that's happened 10 times. Merrick Garland was one of them. Of those 10, the Senate has confirmed the nominees only twice. And, and there's a reason for that. It's not just simply your party, my party. The reason is it's, it's a question of checks and balances. In order for a Supreme Court nomination to go forward, you have to have the president and the Senate. In this instance, the American people voted. They elected Donald Trump. A big part of the reason they elected Donald Trump is because of the Scalia vacancy and they wanted principled constitutionalists on the court. And a big part of the reason why we have a Republican majority elected in 2014, re-elected in 2016, grown even larger in 2018, a major issue in each of those elections is the American people voted and said, we want constitutionalist judges. And so the president was elected to do this, and the Senate was elected to confirm that, this nomination. As you know, generally those picks in an election year have been consensus picks, but I do want to move on. You've made your point right there. What I want to get to now is whether you're in step with most Republicans right now in voting before the election. Senator McConnell seems to have not made up his mind on whether that's best for your majority. You're pushing him here, right? Well, let me point out one quick thing in terms of what, what has been done in the past, which is when you worked in the White House, you worked for Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton made two Supreme Court nominations, Justice Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer. You know, Stephen Breyer, when he got to the Court of Appeals, it was an even more dramatic situation than this. Jimmy Carter appointed Stephen Breyer on November 10, 1980. So it was after the presidential election. Jimmy Carter had just lost to Ronald Reagan, and he appointed Steve Breyer anyway right after the election. And you know what the Democratic Senate did? By the way, the voters had just thrown the Democratic Senate out and said, we're going to have a Republican Senate. The Democratic Senate took it up in December and confirmed it in the lame duck. That was Bill Clinton's second Supreme Court nominee. So there's a long history here. 
And everyone knows that if the president were Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer were the majority leader, the odds are 100%, 100%. There's no universe in which Nancy Pelosi would not have been the previous speaker saying, we are going to confirm this seat. So this is all just a big play of politics. Yeah, so basically what he's saying is if the president and the Senate are of the same part, the Senate majority are of the same party, then approval is almost guaranteed, regardless of it, if it's Republicans or Democrats. You can also guarantee that the majority party is going to want to confirm it before the election, and the one that's if the, the majority, minority is never going to want it confirmed, whether they're Republican or they're Democrat. Unless it's depends on who's their president. Right. If Democrats or if Democrats are president and the Democrats are the minority in the Senate, they're not going to want to pass it. Right. The the majority of <laughs> in the it's Senate just, is not going to pass. It's just party politics. Right. Like he was against that in 2016, and now right. he's for it because the Republican. You yeah. know what I mean? So we'll see what happens. Right. But it is the pre- it, whatever the Senate does, the president has to make the nomination. Who so do you think that's, does he have a list of nominees? Yeah, that's uh, actually something we're going to go into oh, okay. next. So good segue, Brandy. Thank you. I don't even that know. That was really good. <laughs> All right. So some of the people that he has is uh, the top two. He's narrowed it down to two. One is Barbara Lagoa, and uh, she is a Latino woman. Um, she is on the Supreme Court in Florida. I'm pretty sure. So I'm going to read you guys uh, verbatim a Politico article that uh, is actually a profile of her. It's pretty short, but I'm going to go ahead and give you guys this. So this is from Politico. It says, A trailblazer for women and Latinos. A Florida native, Lagoa was the first Hispanic woman to serve on the Florida Supreme Court. If nominated to the nation's highest court by Trump and confirmed by the Senate, she would be the second Latino justice to ever serve. Current Justice Sonia Sotomayor became the first when she was nominated by former President Barack Obama. If nominated and confirmed, Lagoa would be the fifth woman to serve on the Supreme Court. She's been vetted. Trump nominated Lagoa to serve on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in 2019. She was confirmed by the Senate in a bipartisan vote, which could help her ease the path to the court if she's selected by the President again. She could serve for a long time. At just 52 years old, Lagoa would be the youngest justice on the Supreme Court, just a few months behind one of Trump's other nominees, Neil Gorsuch. A lifetime appointment to the court would allow her to serve for decades to come. A deep legal background. After graduating from Columbia Law School, Lagoa worked as a pro bono lawyer for Elian Gonzalez's family and later as a federal prosecutor. Lagoa then spent more than a decade as a judge on a Florida appeals court before being picked by Governor Ron DeSantis to serve on the state Supreme Court. Quote, She has been the essence of what a judge should be, DeSantis said when he nominated her. Personal life. Legault is married to Paul C. Huck Jr., an attorney. They have three daughters. Trump's opinion. She's an extraordinarily extraordinary person. I've heard it, I've heard it length about her. She's Hispanic and highly respected. Miami, highly respected. End quote. Okay, it's in Miami. Miami. <laughs> so Trump, isn't it? <laughs> Just like, where did that come yeah. from? He was talking about art, and he's like, Miami. Miami. <laughs> Miami. Miami. <laughs> All right, so uh, the second, and what seems to be the front runner, um, she was considered last time before uh, President Trump picked Justice Kavanaugh, um, Amy Coney Barrett. All right, so here's her profile from Politico. So this is all from Politico. A reliable conservative. Religious conservatives would have much to be pleased with Barrett, a devout Catholic. Barrett has stated that, quote, life begins at conception, according to a 2013 Notre Dame Magazine article. She also said that justices should not be strictly bound by Supreme Court precedents, a difference known as stare decisis. Yeah, stare decisis leaving open the possibility that she could and would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade if seated on the court. She could serve for decades. At just 48 years old, Barrett would be the youngest justice currently on the Supreme Court, making it entirely plausible that Barrett could leave her mark on a swath of cases for a generation or more. A protege of Antonin Scalia. Barrett clerked for the late Justice Antonin Scalia after graduating from Notre Dame Law School. Like Scalia, Barrett is a strict or originalist and and would quote enforce her best understanding of the constitution rather than a precedent she thinks is clearly in conflict with it quote 
she wrote in a 2013 Texas Law Review article. She can go toe-to-toe with Democrats. During her confirmation hearing to serve on the 7th U.S. Court, Circuit Court of Appeals in 2017, Barrett engaged in a contentious exchange with the, with the Senate Judiciary Committee's top Democrat, Senator Dianne Feinstein. The California Democrat pressed Barrett on her deeply held religious beliefs and how they could impact her jurisprudence, which led to criticism that Democrats' questioning was anti-Catholic. Trump's opinion, quote, she's very highly respected, I can say that, end quote. So, my pick is Amy Barrett. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Barbara Lagoa would be excellent, but I think, I was excited, I was hoping he would pick Amy Barrett last time. Um, but I think that she would make an excellent justice. Um, I am in support, and I know only about 40% of the country agrees with me, but I am in support of overturning Roe v. Wade. I do not think that uh, it will stop abortion completely because it won't. It will be left up to the states to decide, and that's the way it should have been originally. I don't think there should be a federal. There is no federal constitutional right to to abortion, in my opinion. Um, So I would love to see Roe overturned. And uh, I'm proud to say that, and I think she would be the one we could trust the most, and it would be a five to four majority in that sense. Brandy, what's your opinion on that? Well, I was wondering if he was who he was going to nominate, whether it would be a woman or not. I think, I think the only way you could really honor the life of Justice Ginsburg, uh, as any Republican could, would just to be to nominate a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, cause she fought so hard for women's rights. She did. So many different aspects. You don't even have to look at Roe v. Wade. No, no, no. Um, as the you know the center of it all. I mean, I didn't know. I actually pulled this up earlier because I saw it yesterday. Uh, I didn't know that uh, Ginsburg. <coughs> she uh, without this tweet said that uh, things RBG has done for women, which uh, the right to sign a mortgage without a man, the right to have a bank account without a male co-signer, the right to have a job without being discriminated based on gender, the right for women to be pregnant, have kids, and work, the right to a pension equal to male counterparts, the right for men to receive widowers' social security benefits. The right for a woman to put her husband on her health insurance if the employee covered male workers' wives and overlooked equal pay victory. Um, the right for women to be lawyers and lawmakers. The right for women to know that having a supportive spouse trumps a lousy one. The right to know that being confident is only a male thing. Um, you know, those are just some opinions, but I, I had no idea. Uh, so I think after finding that out, I think the only way you could honor her legacy would to be to replace her with a woman. Right. Even if it is a conservative woman who's probably different than she is uh, politically. But um, I, I really do. I think that's the only way that you can honor her legacy. And I think <clears throat> I don't think you can have uh, be or have a country or live in a country uh, that says that uh, everyone is equal if you have a the highest court in the land is just filled with men. You know right. what I mean? How you got to have uh, women on the bench to secure the equality and the rights of women. Um, I think that's only logical. Um, I don't think, it, I mean, all women, but I think it's it's important for um, everyone to be... Um, represented? Represented, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, let's see, we have... John Roberts is the Chief Justice. Um, we have Alana Kagan, um, female. I think she was appointed by President Obama. Sonia Sotomayor was appointed by Barack Obama. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple guys. There's a couple guys there. There's an African-American male, and I cannot think of his name. And I don't... I cannot remember his name. <laughs> oh, gosh, this is awful. But uh, anyways, yeah, I agree with you on that, Brandy, and I think that's that's a great thing. Uh, Clarence Thomas? Yeah, Clarence Thomas. Um, so guys, as we go on to our next uh, little piece here in the political segment, Nancy Pelosi had a little problem speaking this morning. I think she had a reboot. So uh, I'm going to let you guys... <laughs> I'm going to let you guys hear this interview exchange here. Josh, and Josh is starting the consp- ugh, conspiracy theory that she is a lizard. 
Yeah, she's not real. I'm a like, lizard I, robot. <laughs> I have come up with the conclusion that Nancy is not real. No, I'm just kidding. All right, guys, so listen to this. And states, as I said, on Friday, I started their early voting the, the day that we lost but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. The... Uh, we have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So as you just heard, Nancy was in the middle of speaking and then just... Good morning. Good morning. Good Sunday, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. So confusing. So um, you, you, I saw that and I was like, oh, someone definitely edited this. Absolutely. 100%. And no, it's, it's real. It's she real. She definitely said that. She did. All by herself. And I am tagging the phrase she had to reboot. Yeah, that's his new conspiracy theory. <laughs> All right, so one more little thing. I met Mike Pence last week, and I am thrilled I can die happy now. I spoke to the vice president for about eight to ten seconds. I was going to say, was did, he, did he even know your name? No, he didn't know my name, <laughs> but I know his, and I got to speak to him. He signed, he signed my hat, yes. I wouldn't say you met. You came in contact I with him. I spoke with him. That's met. <laughs> he said, hello, we love you. And then he was like. Yeah, and then. See, <laughs> He's like, else? I don't know who this kid is. Yeah, no, I said, let's see. He's I'm trying to think Mexican of exactly. boy. <laughs> 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 Latinos para Trump. Um, <laughs> so I no, I think I said West Virginia. Yeah, I said West Virginia loves you and the president, Mr. Vice but President. But you were in Ohio, so he was. Yeah, like, he was. <laughs> buddy, you're not the right one. <laughs> he kind of looked at me, kind of confused, and he said, uh, "Well, we love West Virginia too," and gave me a thumbs up or something like that. He or, was like, "What in yeah. the world?" And uh, like, he's probably like, "This guy thinks he's." He in probably West looked Virginia. at these uh, people and was like, "I thought we were in Ohio." <laughs> I've been saying Ohio the whole time. Y'all, I, y'all put in the speech Ohio. I've been talking about Ohio for 45 minutes. But anyways, he signed my hat and then went on to the next person. So. They'd be like, yeah, it is Ohio. And they were like, that little Latino boy out there said this was West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> there weren't any walls. It was outside. Uh, fly on the fence. You don't think they went inside after no. that? No. Ever? There was no inside. No inside of a bus, no inside of a car. A barn. A barn. Yeah, that's all I thought. All right. So. All right, so for our real real clear politics polling, top battlegrounds, Biden is now just 1.9% ahead of where Hillary was at this point. He's five points higher than Hillary was nationally at 6.5%, and his favorability, favorability ratings are 9.8% higher than Hillary Hillary's were at this time during the election in 2016. Okay, it's time for our pop culture segment where we talk about literally anything other than politics. In the past few weeks, that's not really lived up to its name because this first story has a little bit to do with politics. Um, this is from CNN Business. Josh, I'm sorry. I went out of this off of CNN. CNN Business is like... It's well, not It's, it's not a, truly trash. No. All right. It, it should have been Fox Business, but this yeah. is the first one that came up, so my bad. Wall anyway. Street Journal's good. Yeah. It's a good model. I don't have, yeah. Okay, here we go. TikTok, uh, the, TikTok. the ban of TikTok. TikTok. So, for the past few months, I'd say probably two or three, um, it has been said that TikTok has, is being banned, um, that it's not going to be um, available in the U.S., um, you know, upon many other things. And, um... This weekend, um, there was an announcement that the ban had been um, finalized, that um, it'll no longer be available for download, and if you have it downloaded already, there will, you won't be able to watch videos on it anymore. I really didn't have good service this weekend, so I wasn't even able to check and see. You know, I was just like, well, you know, it is what it is. I'll survive. Uh, but then I got home and saw that TikTok had made an announcement, and the title of the announcement was, you know, we're not going anywhere. And I'm like, what the heck is yeah. going on? Because this keeps happening. Trump's, like a circle. Trump it? says it's a ban. TikTok is like, no, we're not. And then he's like, yeah, you are. And he's like, they're like, no, we're not. And he's like, you better be here soon. 
losers. You're going to be banned. They're like, shut up. No, we're not. But anyway, TikTok released this statement on the September 19th. It says, we are pleased at the proposal by TikTok. Oracle and Walmart will resolve the security concerns of the U.S. administration and settle questions around TikTok's future in the U.S. As part of this, pro- ugh, as part of this proposal, Oracle will become our trusted technology provider responsible for hosting all U.S. user data and securing associated computer systems to ensure U.S. national security requirements are fully satisfied. We are currently working with Walmart on a commercial partnership as well. Both companies will take part in a TikTok Global pre-IPO financing round in which they will take up to a a 20% cumulative stake in the company. We will also maintain and expand TikTok's global headquarters in the U.S. while bringing 25,000 jobs across the country. TikTok has won the hearts of hundreds of millions of people around the world, including 100 million Americans, because it's a home for entertainment, connection, and expression. We're delighted that the individuals who've turned their creativity on TikTok into thriving careers, the small businesses using TikTok to reach customers during the pandemic, and the families who've found joy and connection through our platform will be able to use TikTok for many years to come. Our team works tirelessly to provide a safe and inclusive platform, and we're thrilled that we will be able to continue serving our amazingly diverse and creative community. So the article um, on CNN Business uh, stated that President Donald Trump's attempts to force a quick sale of popular Chinese-owned video app TikTok produced a tentative deal over the weekend that would see Oracle and Walmart take a minority stake in the U.S. company that will operate TikTok. Uh, The Department of Commerce pushed back a threatened ban on U.S. downloads of the app by one week to the end of of the day on September 27th. But as the companies race to finalize the proposal, proposal, crucial questions over data security, national interest, and the deal structure remain unanswered. Trump has for weeks threatened to ban TikTok, which is owned by China's ByteDance on national security grounds unless an American company takes control of its U.S. operations. Uh, The app has roughly 100 million users in the United States, and uh, Trump claims the app gives Beijing access to the personal data of Americans. Uh, The app, TikTok, has denied those allegations. The company has said its data centers are located located entirely outside of China, and that none of the data is subject to Chinese law. Over the weekend, whoa, I said, (laughs) over the weekend, weekend, over the weekend, Trump gave his blessing to a deal that would give Oracle and Walmart a combined 20% stake in in a new company called TikTok Global, which would be headquartered in the United States and operate the app. Four of the company's five board members would be Americans, Oracle and Walmart said in a joint statement. The fifth person is likely to be a uh, to be ByteDance and TikTok founder um, Zhang Yiming. That's probably t- not how you would pronounce that. Uh, according to a person familiar with the deal, ByteDance confirmed in a statement that TikTok's global board quote includes the founder of ByteDance as well as the CEO of Walmart. Speaking to reporters over the weekend, Trump said he approved the deal quote in concept. He says, "I have given the deal my blessing." If they get it done, that's great. If they don't, that's okay, too. Uh, so, you know, I think there'll be a lot of people that are terribly sad if the deal doesn't go through and the app, uh, you know, is officially banned. Um, personally, I will survive. I'll miss it, but I will survive. Um, I think it's strange that Walmart uh, Shopping Center is is owning the, the app, but, what you know, whatever, as long as it survives. You know, and I think that article said Trump's issue with it several times. It wasn't just Trump. It was the intelligence community had issues with it. They they conveniently left that out of the article to make young people upset with Trump, but that's not what it was about. It's not that Trump doesn't like the app. <laughs> it's that it's who it's owned by, you know, and they did say that, so good enough for him for that. But, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I think something needs to be done. I'm glad that something's getting done. I don't use TikTok, but I know a lot of people that do. Brandy does. And every time I show him a video, he laughs because guess what? It's quality entertainment. Yeah, most of it is. It's quality entertainment. If you don't have TikTok and you think it's too, um, you know, everybody uses it as a loser, you're the loser. You know what I mean? 
if you think you're above everybody because you don't use it, you're the loser. Just a PSA to all you peoples. Peoples. In other news, the Emmys were last night. I think it was the 72nd uh, Emmy Awards. It was all virtual, of course, uh, due to the pandemic, the ongoing pandemic we face. But the award season must go on. And uh, one show cleaned up. um, I'm pretty sure every category they were nominated for. Uh, the show Shits Creek. Uh, now, this is what you told me to watch, Yes, right? I've told you to watch yeah. this. It's such a good show. Shits Creek is so funny. Um, it's kind of... It's got the same feel to it as, like, The Office or Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't do, like, the... Confessions. Yeah, the interviews or whatever, yeah. but it, it the, the comedic aspect yeah. of it is kind of the same. Um, and it's super funny. Uh, you know, short episodes. I think it just finished its sixth season, um, which was its last season. You know, it's just a like kind of a small Canadian show mm-hmm. um, that just happened and you know gained a lot of ground on Netflix. Um, but it's it's so funny and uh, it has been uh, awarded for its uh, comedic genius. And this uh, article from the New York Times says, in its sixth and final season, Schitt's Creek swept the comedy category on Sunday night, taking home seven wins at the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards. The show won a total of nine Emmys this year, the most ever for a comedy in a single year. Catherine O'Hara, which you probably, have you ever seen, like, she's the mom on, like, Home Alone. Home Alone, like uh, mm, Beetlejuice, okay. yeah. red hair. Yeah. That's her. She has blonde hair now, mm. but she's still phenomenal. <laughs> um, she's her. She plays Moira Rose, and Moira Rose is my favorite person on that. I mean, you just have to watch it to understand how amazing Moira Rose is. She's a character. She's a character. Uh, but Catherine O'Hare kicked things off with the first acting Emmy win of her, of her career for her role as the fan favorite wig-obsessed diva Moira Rose. Um, following closely on her heels was Eugene Levy with his first acting Emmy win in like 37 years for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for his role as Patriarch Johnny Rose. Uh, shit's... <laughs> Sorry, I got... Guys, just so you know, this is S C H I T T S. Apostrophe S. I did not mean to stop reading there. Um, it's. <laughs> I don't know why it says this. Um, Shitstorm. <laughs> oh, I totally read this. I didn't catch this. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm going to add my own words here. Um, Shits Creek Storm, a Best Writing, Directing, and Overall Comedy Series Awards. Um, Daniel Levy and Annie Murphy, uh, who also picked up Best Supporting Actor and Actress uh, statuettes for their roles as David and Alexis Rose. So Johnny and Moira are their mom and dad, and um, David and Alexis are the, the two children. Um, the Pop TV series entered Sunday, already having won casting and costume crowns at the Creative Arts Emmy Awards last week. It received 15 nominations in all, second most among comedies to the 20 nods for Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you ever watched that? No. It is so funny. I love that show. It is uh, set in like the 50s, early 60s. Uh, Jewish community. Um, the um, Midge Maisel, her husband... Uh, cheats on her, wants a divorce. He tries to be a comic. She's really the funny one. She ends up being like this huge co- um, comedic stand-up artist. Um, no, I'm not saying that. famous, and it's so funny. I need to watch I it. I love it. It's it's um, a little bit explicit, yeah. but it's so funny. I love that show. Most comedies are. Oh, it's so, it's so funny. Um, and it it's won so many awards yeah. for how good it is. I think... It's either going to be airing the third or fourth season. I just finished the last season, uh, December. I think they usually, like, 
like a year in between, but it's either the third. Anyway, back to Shit's Creek. Uh, <laughs> Shit's Creek began in 2015 on CBC in Canada and Pop TV before gaining a popularity boost when Netflix began carrying it in 2017. The quirky Canadian comedy follows a once wealthy family who, after being bankrupted by a shady business manager, must move to a small town the father bought for his son as a gag gift. After being shut out uh, of the Emmys for its first four seasons, the show broke through last year with its first nominations, four in all, including one for Best Comedy, though it didn't win any. But for some cast members, the last gasp uh, domination feels bittersweet. So, you know, it talked about the kind of plot of the show here. Um, I'm just going to explain to you a little bit. So they're like high-class, strange uh, family you know, super, super, super rich. They lose all their money, and the only thing that they're left uh, with uh, by the government is this town that they bought as a gift. Because the government, it's so bad, the government just doesn't want it. It's called Shit's Creek, and they get there, and the mayor is um, Roland, and his name is Roland Shit. And um, of course, of course, and it's just. Oh my gosh! It's just <laughs> Roland, really. <laughs> It's just so funny, and um, they end <laughs> up, you know, trying. They try to sell the town. Nobody wants to buy it. They end up living there in the ro- in the uh, local motel, and their character developments from season one to the end of the season is uh, end of the show is phenomenal. And it's it's just so funny. So I recommend to anyone who hasn't watched it uh, if you're into uh, comedies, um, check it out. Shit's Creek. It's on Netflix. Alright guys, we have been talking about Ellen DeGeneres for several months now, I think all summer long, and um, she finally has returned to daytime television. She has. She's back, she's in action, she started back today, um, and I'm going to read a little bit from an article I found on CNN, Uh, it states Ellen DeGeneres returned to the studio for the season premiere of a talk show of her talk show and address allegations of a toxic production environment at the daytime series in her opening monologue. Uh, She sarcastically uh, called her summer, quote, great, and apologized to anyone who had been negatively affected while working on her staff. Um, I'm going to play some clips of her monologue for you all, and then we're going to discuss it here. talking directly to people has been illegal for six months, so I have a virtual audience here instead. Here you all are. You look beautiful, and I'm sure you smell great. That's what I'm imagining anyway. All right. It's a strange comment. Um, As you may have heard, this summer there were allegations of a toxic work environment at our show, and then there was an investigation. I learned that things happened here that never should have happened, I take that very seriously, and I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. I know that I'm in a position of privilege and power, and I realize that with that comes responsibility, and I take responsibility for what happens at my show. This is the Ellen DeGeneres Show. I am Ellen DeGeneres. My name is there. My name is there. My name is on underwear. She has her own line of underwear, Josh. You seem confused. We've had conversations over the last few weeks about the show, our workplace, and what we want for the future. We have made the necessary changes, and today we are starting a new chapter. So we actually talked about uh, several episodes ago um, about you know the allegations and the the reports, and we I think that's one thing we really focused on is that you know whether she was the one doing it or not. You know, it's her show. Her name's on it. This is her brand. And she is responsible for what goes on um, in her sh- at her show, at her place of employment. She employs all these people. She's responsible for what happens. Um, you know, whether she knew uh, directly what was going on, she should be invested in what 
um, happens at her at her show with her employees, and I think she's um, I think she she addressed that there. You know, she said this is her responsibility; it's her show, and that she's taken full responsibility for her lack of involve involvement. And I, I think that's very big of her to do. Um, and I think I'm sure it seems that um, you know things are getting uh, to a better place. Um, you know, at that uh, at the show, and um, so I'm gonna let you uh, finish listening to this. There were also articles in the press and on social media that said that I am not who I appear to be on TV because I became known as the Be Kind Lady. And um, here's how that happened. I started saying be kind to one another after a young man named Tyler Clemente took his own life after being bullied for being gay. I thought the world needed more kindness, and it was a reminder that we all needed that. And I think we need it more than ever right now. Being known as the be kind lady is a tricky position to be in. So let me give you some advice out there. If anybody's thinking of changing their title or giving yourself a nickname, do not go with the be kind lady. <laughs> Don't do it. The truth is, I am that person that you see on TV. I am also a lot of other things. I Sometimes I get sad, I get mad, I, I get anxious, I get frustrated, I get impatient, and I am working on all of that. I am a work in progress, and I am especially working on the impatience thing because, and it's not going well, because it's not happening fast enough, I will tell you that. <laughs> Listen. You know, I, I don't know, I, I'm a talk show host and you know that, but I, maybe some of you know that, you know, I was an actress. I've played a straight woman in movies, so I'm a pretty good actress. <laughs> but I don't think that I'm that good that I could come out here every day for 17 years and fool you. This is me. And my intention is to always be the best person I can be. And if I've ever let someone down, if I've ever hurt their feelings, I am so sorry for that. If that's ever the case, I have let myself down and I've hurt myself as well because I always try to grow as a person. I look at everything that comes into my life as an opportunity to learn. I got into this business to make people laugh and feel good. That's, that's my favorite thing to do. That and Jenga. <laughs> I love that name. And now I am a boss of 270 people. 270 people who help make this show what it is. 270 people who... I am so grateful for All I want is for every single one of them to be happy and to be proud to work here. This has been a horrible summer for people all around the world. People are losing their jobs. People are losing loved ones to a pandemic. People are losing their homes and lives in raging fires that are going on. There's blatant racial injustice all around us. I watch the news and I feel like, where, where do we even begin? So my hope is that we can still be a place of happiness and joy. I still want to be the one hour a day that people can go to escape and laugh. I want to continue to help all the people that we help every day. And I'm committed to making this the best season that we have ever had. So, um, and I think that was a very heartfelt uh, monologue. I mean, as heartfelt as you can be for a monologue. You don't want to get up there and cry. Yeah. Um, but, um... You know, I think uh, it shows that the environment in the workplace seems to be getting better. Um, some sources told um, people that she, quote, didn't hold anything back um, uh, when they talked about her opening monologue. Uh, quote, it was poignant and funny and very much a candid take on what happened over the summer. She understands her audience, wants to hear from her, and is looking forward to talking directly to them Monday, which she did today. Uh, leading up to the premiere, sources said that DeGeneres was, quote, connecting with staff over zoom and knows that is uh knows that it's on her to make sure everyone feels like they've been they're being heard and valued uh then on the day the season 18 premiere was filmed she was supported by her wife Portia de Rossi and crew applauded when the host walked off the set according to sources who say quote it was an emotional moment for everyone she thanked everyone um, as the show moves forward with production on season 18, the sources say DeGeneres and the staff are, quote, happy to be back at work together, um, adding that they're, quote, taking it one day at a time, but so far the environment on set already feels different. That's good. Yeah, it's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm, Ellen is, like she said, she is a one-hour 
um, a day escape for so many people. She brings joy in a lot of people's lives. She helps so many people. And so I think, um, you know, it's it's good that she's able to get back to doing what she does best, and that's uh, being the be kind lady and helping others. So hopefully that's that, you know, that's the end of all that. Our artist of the week this week is uh, Tyler Childers. He is a, I wouldn't really say full bluegrass. He's like a country bluegrass. Kind of Cajun. Kind of Cajun. Mm-hmm. Very hillbilly. Hillbilly um, country. I it's guess it's call not it. mainstream country in the no. slightest bit, but it's not really bluegrass. Mm-mm. Um. Well, here's an article from Rolling Stone. It says, Childers' sound is a fusion of folk, bluegrass, and country with a raw, emotionally gripping tinge that's halfway between a confession and a holler. Is born of his, um, he was born uh, in East Kentucky, uh, a place with rich, a place rich with forgotten stories and people just trying to do the best they can. It was a childhood that now enables him as a songwriter to not glamorize Appalachia but to capture the beauty and its flaws. The bond between family generations, um, the bond between families, generations thick, the callous skin of hard days and harder past, the du- black dust of coal and the white dust of cocaine. Uh, born in Lawrence County, Childers was a red-haired kid who wanted to be a journalist or an English teacher, but changed once he started playing his guitar. Um, so I, I, I didn't know about the um ink wanting to be an English teacher that's uh makes a whole lot of sense now after watching his latest video he uh released uh this past Friday um he released a new album called um A Long Violent History and um this um article from Billboard kind of goes in depth with it uh it says Tyler Childers directed a YouTube video toward his quote white royal role listeners about the long violent history his surprise album that dropped friday september 18th behind the age-old target on the backs of black americans um the album is a collection of instrumental pieces intended to create a sonic soundscape for the listener to set the tone to reflect on the last track which is in my own observational piece on the times we are in childers clarified childers clarified uh, about the project's main track in the six minute video posted on monday which I think he posted it Friday. Um, while laminate, while lamenting on the permanent, Lord above, while lamenting on the current times brought on by the COVID nineteen crisis and police brutality, he justifies the angst and anger Americans have been feeling. And for those in his Appalachian fan base who can't get behind the Black Lives Matter movement, he pinpointed the reason why. "Quote: We've all witnessed violent acts of police brutality." happen around the nation that have gone un- unaddressed. In response, we've seen protests turn to riots and riots culminate into acts of violence and destruction of property. From the outsider's perspective, it's hard to see where all this visceral anger is coming from. Um, he said, he goes on to say, what I believe to be one of the biggest obstacles in pinpointing the cause of this is our inability to empathize um, with another individual or a group's plight. He then recited headlines that flipped the script and placed white individuals as victims of unjust murder committed by authorities. Um, he later reverted back to the grim reality by listing the kinds of members black families have uh, repeatedly lost due to this type of violence. Quote, these are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters and cousins, mothers and fathers, irreplaceable threads within their family fiber, torn from their loved ones too soon with no justice, and they're demanding justice, same as I expect we would he said the 29 year old artist also noted that in the description of his youtube video that 100 percent of the album's net proceed proceeds will go toward the hickman holler appalachian relief fund which supports underserved communities in the appalachian region um so we um i listened to the album friday when it was released mention it to Josh. We said we'd talk about it on the podcast. I let him listen to it right before we started recording this. Um, I like the the idea of the album, which is like old fiddle tunes. Um, that's kind of my cup of tea 
where I'm a big bluegrass person, instrumentals, like that kind of stuff. But this wasn't, it wasn't that great. Uh-huh. <laughs> Josh was absolutely disgusted with the whole thing. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I've ever heard an album with fiddle tunes that I've disliked. This and was I, one. This repulsed me. He was disgusted. It actually we gave even me a make slight a headache. Full song. Yeah, he was like, turn this off, I have a headache. It was like piercing my ears and I was wincing at it. <laughs> He's quite dramatic, but um, I don't think it's dramatic. That, that's dramatic. I was wincing. I mean, I mean it was bad, that? but that's dramatic. Anyway, uh, it's not the best. Um, like I said, the idea was great. Um, Josh said it sounded like he had just learned a new instrument and wanted to show off his talent that he thought he had, um, and that he could quote make something better on GarageBand in like 15 minutes. That's yeah, that's what I said, but maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. Um So some of the songs, the the track list for the song is it starts off with Send in the Clown, Zolly's Retreat, Squirrel Hunter, Sludge River Stomp, Midnight on the Water, Camp Chase, Jenny Lynn, Bonaparte's Retreat and then ends with Long Violent History, which is the only song on the album with words. Um, it's his, uh, it really just kind of sums up his, uh, six minute speech into three minutes, um, three minute song. And, um, that's about all I'm going to talk about that song. <laughs> Hit a sore spot with Josh. We're not going to discuss it. It's okay. Um, uh, <laughs> sore spot. We're not going to talk about it. It's the only song you made it all the way through on, and then it just went downhill from there. We're not. It, that's the end of this discussion. On it. We're not bringing it back. Up. Um, I'm gonna go through his emotions while we went through the songs. Uh, so we start off with "Send in the Clowns." Um, he looks up in disgust and says, "This is awful. Please turn it." Um, so I we went to Zolly's retreat. He looks up again and says, "Why are these all bad? Are they all were something like? Do they all sound like this?" And then we went on Squirrel Hunter. It wasn't as bad. Sludge River Stomp wasn't as awful. Uh, Midnight on the Water was pretty good. Camp Chase was yeah. Jenny Lynn. He he was truly disgusted. Well, I knew Jenny Lynn because I I'm a big son of Bill Monroe. I guess you would say you're when not, I. You're Son of Bill Monroe. <laughs> no, no, no. Just listen. Like, not musically. That's not what I meant. I'm like, when I was super small and, like, barely knew how to play anything on the instruments, I always referred to Bill Monroe. Yeah. So, like, his music just plays in my head. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. When I hear songs that don't do his recordings justice, as long ago as his recordings were made and they're still in perfect tune, you know what I'm saying? They were... Uh, this is, these all sounded like they were... Uh, off key all of them and I don't know maybe he maybe that was his goal and I said maybe he was going for like an old like civil war campfire sound um I don't know I'm I'm I really was looking forward like when I found yeah, out me it too. was all instrumental I was so like I'm like old fiddle tunes I was telling Josh I was like it's gonna be so good it's old fiddle tunes it'll be great um, uh, yeah, it's, it's slightly disappointing. I think a lot of his fans were upset that he released an instrumental album and then they heard it and it's even worse. They're like, we've waited forever and we only got one, um, yeah. we only got one song with words on it. And so naturally they were upset. Um, it is very disappointing when you think your favorite artist is releasing an album and it turns out it's just crappy fiddle tunes that he learned from a beginner's book and, um didn't tune his violin for so or his fiddle my bad yeah uh-huh uh-huh and uh so that that's all we got for tyler childers i like all of his other music i'm a big fan of him uh he's got a great voice um plays the guitar really well his writing abilities are uh impeccable but uh long violent history is not it it's not it in uh, any uh, sense at all all right, so guys, uh, we've not talked about a movie of the week or uh, whatever for a very long time, uh, simply because uh, I just don't. We just don't have time to watch uh, movies every week. Shocking, I know, but we're slightly busy. 
But somehow I find time to uh, watch a TV show. It is also hard to pick a new movie every week when you're extremely picky. But I finally started uh, a show in the last two weeks, probably. Um, I don't even know if it's been two weeks. Probably the last week. That I have been trying to watch for several years. um, And just could never get past the first episode. Not because it was bad, but because I just didn't understand enough about what the show was about. So, I started House of Cards. um, And... Now that I'm older and I know a little bit more about politics, I know a little bit more about how things work, I know the positions and such and such uh, in that sense, I started it again and I have made it to season three. And I'm like four episodes in. It is a very You're good show. You're four episodes into season three already? Yes, Josh. Okay, I've spent way too much time watching this TV show. No, 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 no. There's, don't, don't apologize because it's amazing. Oh, okay. It is. I take back my apology. Yeah, resend it. Reclaiming Resending your apology. Resending my statement. <laughs> I am three seasons in, like four episodes in. Oh, my gosh. This thing's crazy. He basically, so the guy is Frank Underwood. He is the Democratic Majority Whip in Congress, in the House, um, and he is one bad dude. He's a bad dude. He's got that slow southern drawl, real deep voice, and he is a man with power, and buddy, he knows how to use it. So he, uh, a new president was just elected, at the be- so se- the season one, episode one, new president selected. Frank believes he is being nominated as Secretary of State. Finds out that they rescinded that nomination. They are nominating somebody else. Frank gets mad. Frank says, you know what? I don't even want to be Secretary of State, you idiots. I'm going to be something else, and you guys are going to regret it. So basically, episode one starts off this whole plan, and somehow he's going to become president. You don't really know that. But That you kind of do. You can kind of insinuate it. If you're not going to be Secretary of State, you're, you're aiming higher. There's only, like, two positions above that. You know what I mean? So, um, he gets mixed up. There's a reporter, Zoe Barnes. She's very important. She, they hook up, you know, the, the, the usual political, um, journalist hookup sessions. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, Zoe Barnes, she, um you know, works. He feeds her information. She writes about it. Nobody knows that. She works at the Herald. The Washington Herald, yes. And, um, you know, she becomes a big-time reporter. He feeds her all this information that's going on. He, um, so he was passed over for Secretary of State for Michael Kern. Michael, he, so he finds out, digs up this whole past on Michael Kern and gets him shot down from the nomination. He gets another lady, his pick, Catherine Durant, put into that position he um finds a congressman from philadelphia who is an alcoholic cocaine addict cocaine addict um sleeps with a lot of prostitutes um he finds out that he's been pulled over he figures out that he can use him as a pawn if he gets him out of this uh traffic ticket or whatever and so he does he uses peter russo and um says that he's going to run him for um, governor of Pennsylvania. Well, the former governor of Pennsylvania is vice president. So, Frank, like, lifts up this guy all the while he's... Um, conspiring. Conspiring. His yeah. He lifts up this Russo guy, gets him out there, and finally, um, one moment, he, him and his wife are a power team. His wife's helping with this bill. Uh, she cuts down the bill. The governorship uh, opportunity is gone for Russo. He ends up getting super, super, super drunk. Uh, Frank ends up driving him home from the police station and get, lets him pass out, locks him in his garage, kills him. But nobody knows it was him. Through asphyxiation. Yes, he dies. Left his car running in the garage and rolled down the windows. Yes, and then he's dead. Dunzo. So, Peter is so gone. That leaves an opening for the governor of Pennsylvania, of which the vice president is going to take because he hates being vice president. 
So, therefore, he goes back to being governor. Therefore, there is an opening in the vice presidency. And who do they call upon? They call upon Mr. Frank Underwood. Only because he gets in close with the chief of staff. You're leaving out a crucial detail, Brandy. Oh, my gosh. What did I forget? Raymond Tusk. Oh, Raymond Tusk. Yes, yes, yes. They said they're going to choose Raymond Tusk to be vice president, which is this huge oil executive. Yeah. Turns out he's BFFs with the president for like 20 years. And that... um, they're actually considering Frank, and they're vetting him. Frank and Tusk really don't hit off very well. They end up kind of becoming frenemies, um, and so Frank gets nominated as VP, and he realizes that he has to. He finds a way to isolate the president. He gets rid of everybody subtly that the president trusts. So the only person that's left is Frank. The only person that's there to sway him in any situation. And so a bunch of this stuff happens with money laundering with the Chinese and Tusk and um, uh, a Native American casino owner, Lanigan, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, money la- all this stuff. I also forgot. There's a guy uh, from Japan or China. Fang. Yeah, Xander Fang. Yeah. I also forgot. So all the while this stuff's happening, Zoe uh, starts connecting dots. Her and yep. this other uh, reporter and Lucas, Lucas, her boyfriend, who also worked, they all worked at the Herald together. They start discovering that there are ties between Underwood and Russo, and there's this prostitute named Rachel that uh, Frank's um, chief of staff is oddly obsessed with. I don't like him, Doug Stamper, not a not a good dude. Anyway. She confronts Frank about it. Frank, hiding in the shadows of the subway, pushes her in front of a train and kills her. Nobody knows it was him. Whatever. Lucas go tries to bring down Frank, uh, ends up committing cyber-terrorism, goes to prison. So back to the money laundering. They all get caught up in this money laundering thing, and somehow Frank, you know, he brings it all to light somehow but still covering himself up. All this stuff's happening. The president. He makes him testify. Yeah, he makes everybody have to testify. He convinces the president somehow to get a special prosecutor. Everybody has to testify. All this information comes out. The president gets impeached. Therefore, Frank ends up being president. He convinces the secretary of state to back him up. He convinces the uh, majority whip, uh, Jackie Sharp, to back him up. He convinces all these people to support him. And he ends up being. Um, president of the United States. That's where I'm at right now. His wife is trying, they're trying to nominate her to be a UN ambassador is where I'm at right now. It's quite intense, guys. I've seen the whole thing and Brandy's just at the tip of the iceberg. It tip gets of the iceberg. so much better. I still don't understand that stupid riddle you sent me. You should have figured out two of the clues by now. I don't remember what it all was. I'm going to pull it up. I sent Brandy a clue. She was like four episodes into House of Cards and I said, I'm going to send you a riddle. And uh, this will help you um, figure out what's going on in House of Cards. So, just one second, I'll find it here. I didn't understand any of it, and I thought I got it, and I ended up you almost not having did, it. Though. You almost did. I was close. So now, when I'm watching, I'm just obsessed whether I've got this stupid riddle right. All right, here's what I said: Lucas, boom; Tom, click; Freddie, flip. Remy, True, Walker, Few, Linda, Two, Doug, Lover, Seth, Smother, Raymond, Cover, Claire, Care. You should be able to figure out several of those now. They're not in any particular order. I mean, Doug, Lover, that's Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Seth's, that's one. Seth, Smother, I don't... You won't get that one yet. Oh, okay. No. Raymond, Cover, you should. Uh, yeah. The cover up. Walker Few, Linda too. Uh, what's Walker Few? His days were few. Oh, okay. Linda too. Gotcha. Remy True, because he's working with. No, oh, nothing okay. else she should be able to get yet. Oh, great. Oh. So she's got four or five of them figured who's, out. Who's Freddy again? Freddy? Barbecue guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's gone. Hmm. He, he, they cut ties with each other. Okay. I didn't know what you were at. What was the last thing he said to him? It was when all this stuff came out, how he was like a convicted fellow, and then his son like pointed a gun at like uh, paparazzi and stuff. 
he was kind of like coming under a storm and all this stuff and so the president was like I can't we c- I can't be like seen being around you anymore there's still more also he comes back there's still more I haven't seen him for several episodes great there's still more Lucas Booma but I don't figure that one out yet no. so he comes back too does the boom have to do with the bomb? Who's just you're not? I'm not going to give you any clues. That's it. So Brandy will figure that one out. For you all that have watched that, it's it's pretty simple. So uh, for that you the you all that have watched it all. So that's House of Cards. Great show. Very sexually explicit and verbally oh gosh, explicit. Yes. So do not watch it with any young kids. Oh my gosh, it's um, awful. But it is very, very good. It's it very is, good. It's really good. Kevin Spacey, even though he's kind of nasty, um, does a phenomenal job. Yeah. He was born for that role. Yep. So on this day in history in 1996, Hanks, Hank Williams III, at 23 years old, made his Grand old Opry debut. Also in 1967, country singer Faith Hill was born on this day. Our quote of the week, quote, the best way to guarantee a loss is to quit by Morgan Freeman. That's very true. Very true. So guys, follow us on Facebook at Pick'em Politics and we'll keep you updated about our podcast. Remember that freedom is never more than a generation away from extinction.